Let's read together. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was. They took him. Leaving the crowd, they took him, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us insight into your word. God, we ask that you would allow our hearts to know and to see what it is that Mark is getting at. We ask that you would be able to Open our eyes and open our hearts to see and understand the scripture this morning. Your word to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing on the theme of uh, (laughs) not performance or excellence, uh, I'm going to need to grab my computer uh, because apparently the sermon that I sent was my first draft from earlier this week that has none of my notes. So... Can you, one second, can you just, let me do this. I can share my sermon in one second. You need to get the, yes. This is just building anticipation. Let's see if this. No. All right. We are going to do something that I have never done, and it's not because I don't have a sermon. Uh, We're going to have to preach this sermon from my memory. Uh, All right. So, I did it with names once already. We're going to see... (laughs) Uh, and I, I don't know, uh, I've done this, I don't know how many times, I don't know why it's not coming through today. You don't have to worry, Des. Um, so the title of the sermon, Who is in the Boat and Why It Greatly Matters. If I were to give this kind of an undertitle or a subtitle, it, was, it would be how the story of a big storm and a big calm and a big fear help us answer the big question in Mark. As we come to this passage, 
we're going to see kind of, in a sense, two surprises. The first is that the climax of the story is not the climax that we would assume, which is the great calm in the middle of the storm. But Mark is going to point us to something different. And in addition to that surprise, we're going to see kind of a surprising connection between faith and fear, and it's not what you think. And so this morning, let's just go straight to the outline. In verses 35 and 36, we're going to see clear instructions in calm waters. Verse 37, we're going to be introduced to the great windstorm. In the middle of that storm, the way that Mark writes this account, he's going to introduce us to three questions. And those three questions are the disciples' question for Jesus, and then we're going to see Jesus' question for his disciples, and then we're going to end, in a sense, it's, it's a question the disciples are asking, but Mark is, in a sense, putting this out for all of the readers to say, who is this that's in the boat? And as you know, as we began this series in Mark, one of the very first things that we saw was Mark was proclaiming the identity is that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Mark has been very specifically unfolding this account of Jesus and helping us understand, and he's been relating to us the events from Jesus' life that will help us put together a picture and answer this question for ourselves, who is this Jesus? We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him heal a withered hand. We've seen him speak with authority. And in fact, in many other times, Mark has put into the words of the crowds and says, who is this that speaks with such authority that even the demons listen and respond to his voice? And so as we come to this story set, we're reaching another point where Mark is stopping and asking us a question. He tells us the story And he puts the question in the disciples' mouth, but the question really is to be answered by the reader. Who is this person that is in front of us performing miracles? And that's a question that we want to drive at this morning. Now, let's go straight to the text, and we're going to get into the clear instructions and calm waters. Verse 35 says, on that day when evening comes. So on that day, it's talking about the very same day where Jesus has just told the parable of the soils and probably many other parables, okay? So we're kind of getting these stories piecemeal, but keep in mind, Jesus has been in the boat teaching all day. He is is taught, uh, among many other things, the the story of the, the, the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. And so we begin, it says, On that day when evening had come, very long day of ministry, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. So here's what I see. Long, busy day of ministry, and maybe you've been there. Long, busy day at work. And the first thing that Jesus invites you to do is, Hey, let's go across. We've got more ministry to do. Get your stuff, get in the boat, and let's... Go across. We've got we to gotta journey ahead. Because if we're going to start tomorrow morning, just like we did today, we've got we to gotta make hay while the sun's shining, right? Or get in the boat while the seas are darkening, in a sense. Jesus is going to invite them to go further in ministry with him. And I think that you've been there. And at this time, by the way, so you set out 
Clear instructions, calm waters. Don't forget that. <laughs> clear instructions and calm waters. Because life with Jesus often has a way of taking us out into the deep. Now, verse 37, we see the next part of our story, and this is the great windstorm. Verse 37 says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Now, as I'm reading these verses and just thinking through this passage, maybe, maybe just some, some context for you. When we, we talk uh, about the, the Sea of Galilee, you might not know this, but the Sea of Galilee is literally the lowest freshwater lake in the entire world. Lowest freshwater lake in the entire world. If, if you kind of Google this, and if you got a map and you looked at it, the Sea of Galilee is, is rimmed with mountains. And what happens is that you will have weather and, and fronts that are on the land, and as they move over those mountains, they, they kind of slow down, and then as they get to the top, they come down those mountains gaining speed. And if you look at the, the Sea of Galilee, it's completely rimmed. And those different storm fronts or those weather, sometimes it's not a storm front, sometimes it's, just, it's warm weather or cooler weather, but they come together and they meet in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is, is known for these, these storms that arise, what we would say, out of nowhere, these little squalls. And so this is what's taking place. We see in... in Luke, uh, excuse me, Mark uses a very specific word. He used uh, the word mega. And if you are familiar with it, we will say that, it, that is, it, mega it means when it's big, really big, right? Man, or uh, with kids, and that is mega cool. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing some of these words. But we use mega when we meet something, that, this is bigger than large. This is as large as I can explain. And Mark says, this is a mega windstorm. He uses the word great windstorm. And so the picture we get, disciples follow Jesus, they're out in the middle of the sea, and all of a sudden, this becomes one of those events where the, the different fronts from the mountains come in and they meet in the middle. And the disciples are in their boats. I looked this up. If, if you're interested, uh, they found a, a, a boat on the, the Sea of Galilee right about the time of Jesus. And it's about 27 feet, which has been about 9 meters it fits about 12 to 15 people. So not a small craft, but not a large, large boat. And the picture that we get is as they're in the middle of the ocean, by the way, it's nighttime. And if you're thinking that's an odd time to launch out, Jesus' crew uh, who lived and worked on those waters, nighttime was the normal time for fishing. And it's because the waters were most calm. So you have experienced men, they're in the middle of the ocean, but something begins to happen that they're not even prepared for. And as those waves begin to rise and the, the, the wind is, is pushing harder and harder, these waves are starting to come into the boat. And you could probably imagine that these are seasoned sailors, most of Jesus' crew. These are guys who are not unfamiliar with the waters. And so they're probably prepared. They probably, uh, I know when I go fishing, you have like a little plastic bucket, and the bucket is to try to get out the water. 
But here's what I'm picturing. You have Jesus' disciples, Jesus asleep in the front, and the waves are getting higher, and the winds are getting higher, and the water is starting to come in faster than they can even bail it out. I'm picturing, I don't know, they don't have plastic, maybe they got a wooden bowl. I don't know what they're doing. But they're trying to get it out, but I can promise you it's not happening fast enough. I can promise you people are there with their hands trying to get it out. The tension is rising. And the middle of all this is they're trying to get water out of the boat. They're trying to work around Jesus, who apparently is still asleep in the middle of the boat. And the reality is, I think to make it even worse, because you know and I know how your mind works, right? How your mind could begin to already formulate. You're sitting there in the middle of the storm, all because Jesus told you to go to the other side. His idea. The guy who's asleep. The guy who's not even helping. And the guy who you're having to work around because he's not even helping get the water out. And so we have clear instructions and we have calm waters, but very quickly we end up in the middle of the great windstorm. Now, in the middle of this situation, Mark is going to introduce us, and the way he tells the story is through three questions. And let's cue the questions, because in verse 38, we're introduced to the first question. And I'm sure this is probably you and me in the middle of the storm. It says, but he was in the stern, this is talking about Jesus, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I don't think I need to go in depth, but here's the first thing that happens when... We start out, we're ministering alongside Jesus, we're kind of on a ministry high, we've seen him preach all day, we've uh, heard the parable of the soils. To us privately, the parable of the soils has been explained. Jesus is teaching, we're with him, he says, hey, let's keep ministering, let's go out, we've got to go to the other side. We're going to go across and minister on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You go with him, you're in the middle of the storm, Jesus is asleep. And it's where the doubts begin to creep in, because what was their question? Their question was, teacher, do you not even care, or do you not care that we are perishing? So here's what I know happens to me, and here's what I'm pretty sure happens to you when we're in the middle of the storm. Is that all the doubts begin to creep in. That the questions of, well, if God was so loving, why did he even send us? Why are we out in the boat in the middle of the night? Why is he not... Even awake? Does he not even care that we're struggling? Have you, not, have you been in a difficult situation? And the way that you deal with that is that there's, you begin to become bitter and complain against God for either sending you. Like, it, why would you send us into a storm? For making you go when you're tired? Why didn't we just rest? I mean, I, I, do you think that conversation wasn't had? Like, why didn't we just stay? He's tired. We're tired. Cue the questions. You can fill in your own. How do you react in the middle of the storm? All of us might react a little bit differently, but the question that keeps coming up, I think, for all of us is some form of do you not care that we're perishing? God, don't you see? Don't you care? Why don't you love? Aren't you good? 
So let's take a look at how Jesus responds to the disciples' question. In verse 40, we have Jesus. He responds. He's going to ask a question of his own. And it says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he asked them, this is technically two questions, but it's kind of one in here. He says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So Jesus stands up and he literally speaks to the winds and the waves. And by the way, this is the second use of this word, great. Because it says there, at the end of verse 39, there's a great calm. Mega is the same word that's used. And so just as there was a great storm, Jesus is going to stand up and by his very voice is going to bring a great calm. Now what's fascinating here is Jesus' question. And he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? As we sit here, and one of the things that comes to my mind, and I don't know if you noticed this, this, this contradiction. That Jesus calms the storm, but it's not because of the disciples' great faith. Don't we often think that when we, we ask God in great faith, that God will respond to our situation? Uh, so we, we kind of think. So we have this idea is that, well, if... if I am strong enough to exhibit great faith, then God might act in a great way. I'm not going to go any deeper, but I'll just point out to you, if, if that is your theology, this is a very interesting problem. It's because Jesus steps in and provides a great calm in spite of their absolute fear and lack of faith. Think about God's goodness in that perspective, right? Isn't that what they were just questioning? Don't you care that we're perishing? And so God's going to step in and he's going to provide a great calm. And it's not because of their faith. And that kind of is going to lead us to the last question. Because the question in my mind then, well, is, how do we have greater faith. Jesus is going to point out there's a, there's a weakness, there's, there's, there's a problem in his disciples. And he, and he points right to it. And he says, you're afraid and you have no faith. And this might lead us to, and this is where I was saying we kind of have a surprising truth that we're going to learn. Because then we might also equivalent, or equivalent, um, yeah, make equal. What's that word? Equivalent, yeah. Equate. There we go. I was trying to say equivalent to equate. Team. Church is a team, folks. I'm better when you're with me. <laughs> don't, don't let me lead alone. Uh, I'd be a sad, sad shepherd. All right. Equate fear and faith. So the, it's almost this idea that if we have a lack of fear, then we'll have great faith. And we're going to see how that's actually not true. Let's look at verse 41, because we're going to end with another question. 
So after Jesus calms this storm, in verse 41 it says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? This is the third use of great in the story. And it kind of shows you Mark's hand in crafting this. If you're, I don't have my notes in front of me, so I'm going to have to say, hopefully one of my notes mentioned. The way we would probably think about this in our human terms, great storm, great calm, great rejoicing, great celebration. Isn't that where the story should end? Great storm, like it terrified us. Great calm, Jesus steps in, and despite their lack of faith, he steps in and calms the storm, and the natural ending should be great rejoicing, great celebration. Jesus and the disciples are hugging. Jesus, you calm the storm. You're amazing. This is wonderful. It's great to be a disciple. But the story doesn't end that way. The story ends... Not in great rejoicing, it ends with great fear, which is a surprising climax to the story. And it points us to a truth that left to ourselves we wouldn't connect, of how fear and faith work together. And so I want to spend the rest of our time, because that is such a contradiction. Great storm, great calm, great celebration, great fear. Great fear. And that great fear is rooted in this question by the disciples, who then is this that the sea and the wind obey him? Now, I want to spend the rest of our time because we need to unpack this because this is where the heart of the story is. Mark has, has written a gospel to us so that we might know who Jesus is and believe in him. And we're on a journey with the disciples, and we see the story of Jesus calming the storm. In fact, that's what it's probably called in most of your, 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 your scriptures. If they give it a title, it's probably Jesus calms the storm. But when you read Mark, the first thing that you see is the calming of the storm is not where the story ends. The great fear is where it ends. And the question of who then is this? And if we don't get to the bottom of that, then we haven't understood why Mark has written the story for us. So let me kind of turn uh, and, and, and help us dig a little bit deeper. And we're going to go into the Old Testament because what we're going we're to see is this correlation When the disciples' eyes are opened and when there's a great fear, it's when the seas and the winds are calmed. In fact, you might say that while the seas were calmed, the great storm began in their own hearts and minds. Nature's calm. Now his disciples have a great storm taking place in their hearts and minds and wrestling with who is really in our boat. Turn with me. There's many passages we can go in the Old Testament. I want to take a look at Psalms 65 and Psalm 89. We're just going to take a look at those two and let them speak for the many, many passages that are going to help us understand who is truly in the boat and why did this cause so much fear. 
In Psalm 65, verses 5 through 8, it says this, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established mountains, being girded with might, And listen to this in verse 7. Who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Let's look at verse uh, Psalm 89, verses 5 to 9, and then we'll, we'll unpack what we saw. But hopefully you, you are beginning to see it yourselves. Psalm 89, verses 5 through 9. Verse 5 says, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? And who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are, with your faithfulness all around you. And look at verse 9. You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. What happened in the boat, and the reason we end with great fear, was because for the first time, the disciples put together something they hadn't on Jesus' journey. They had seen him cast out demons. They understood that he, and and they believed that he was the Messiah. Although, in, in a sense, they're on a journey confirming that belief. And they're hearing Jesus teach as one with authority. And they're seeing how he has come head to head with the religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees. And how he has uh, stood up and interpreted the Old Testament for them. Of what it really means to fast. What it really means to love. And they understood that the demons, when they hear Jesus speak or when they even see Jesus, that they would be uh, they would come out of those who they were possessing. But the disciples didn't in any way relate this physical person who was with them with Almighty God Himself, who at creation spoke into existence the world, and who the scriptures again and again say, the mountains fear. And God is the one who can calm the raging of the seas. By the way, if, if you uh, aren't familiar with this language. Whenever the scriptures talk about the seas and the chaos and and, uh, the fear that grips us, it it always talks about the, the oceans as this raging sea. And God is the one who can calm the seas. God is the only one who is able to, uh, with, by, that by sheer power of his word, to bring peace and order to the chaos. That's the, that's the picture that we constantly see when the scriptures talk about the chaos of sin and the chaos of the world and the tumult of the nations. It's God, only God himself, 
Almighty God has the ability to step in. And this is what the disciples see in the boat. And this is what makes them so afraid. And it says, great fear, mega fear. Same word. Mark uses it three times. What we see here in all of these passages is that when we see God for who He is, we see an incomparably holy and righteous God who with His words controls all things. And while the disciples were beginning to believe that this is the Messiah, this is, this is physically the person, the very descendant of David who will now become king, they had never equated this Jesus with God Himself. Because the reaction every time we see God in His holiness come into contact with mankind, the, rea- the reaction is fear, a holy fear of who God is. Remember around when, when uh, God was, was building relationship with his people Israel and he's covenanting with them and he invites them to Sinai and he says, I'm going to meet you on that mountain. You will come face to face with your God and the people come near the bottom of the mountain and God speaks and his voice thunders. And the very voice of God scared his people so much. I mean, scared, like I'll use the word, are, are you scared? I don't know what the proper word would be, a a holy terror. Which meant the people were so afraid to actually come closer to God that they sent Moses up to the mountain by himself. Because they said, if we will come, you'll kill us. And so we need to wrestle with this view of God, this, you know, you, you've heard it a lot, but it, and it doesn't truly get to the heart of this great fear that begins to take place in our heart, a holy and healthy fear of, of God. But that the classic line of, of Aslan, when the, when the children are near this massive lion, knowing that, that uh, this is Aslan, this is the ruler of Narnia, but he's a lion, and I think it's, it's little Lucy, and she says, but is he safe? And the answer is, no, he's not safe. Aslan is a lion. He is, is, by his very nature, capable of powerful and dangerous things. But he's, he's safe for you and me. And so what we need to wrestle with is this. So if... The climax in Luke, or excuse me, Mark, is surprising. I want to end with this idea of a surprising relationship between fear and faith. Because we might think that, well, faith is not having fears. But that's false. Faith, and a great faith, comes from having a great fear of God. It's a surprising connection. Because a great fear of God, of recognizing God for who He is, is the very thing that will inspire faith. Maybe to say it another way, the object of your faith is absolutely important, if you want to put it a different way. is that you can have a great amount of faith in something that literally has no value or power to actually help or save you. 
But if this God, Almighty God, the one who's in the boat, is truly God himself, then he's the one that can calm the seas. Maybe put it another way. There's no way a great storm could be moved into a great calm without a great God. An all-powerful, mighty God. A God who, when we understand who He is in His glory and His righteousness and His power, should cause in our hearts a great and holy and healthy fear. So, faith is not a lack of fear. You'll go through life and every day there's things that we should fear. There is, there is a devil and there are demons and there is a, a evil that exists. You should fear your own heart because we're told that our heart is not clean and whole. But it's being sanctified by Jesus Christ. There's many reasons we should have to fear. But what gives us great faith is a great and high and holy fear of God, a healthy fear of knowing how great and glorious God is, of knowing His power, of knowing that He judges sin, of knowing that He's righteous, but also knowing that the God who can create the great storm can also provide a great calm. What we should fear is trusting in ourselves. I'll just end with this. Fundamentally, when I was thinking about this and thinking about the, the disciples trying to bail out the water, in the middle of the storm, we try as we might. What we can do and what God can do are fundamentally different things. We could bail out the water. We could try as best we can to put the paddles in the water and get across the ship faster. But at the end of the day, all we have is our human strength. And left our human strength, we should fear. Because not just that storm, but one day the great storm is coming that will take you under. We can't avoid death. The great storm will come and take us all. But if God's in the boat, what he can do and what you can do are fundamentally different things. God doesn't bail out the boat. <laughs> he wasn't worried about the water coming in. God speaks to the waves. He speaks to the wind. And he says, peace, be still. God is the God of salvation. And he is greatly to be feared. And if that sounds like a negative thing, I want to invite you to allow the scripture to speak for itself. Mark says that great fear was a good thing. And that's where this story climaxes. A great fear of a high and holy God. Because that great fear will lead to a great faith. And that faith will save you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we have your stories to encourage us. 
God, we thank you that in following you, Lord, we do end up in the middle of the deep. And the reality is, as we're following you and we're trying to get to the other side, trying to get to ministry, trying to walk alongside of you to continue to reach more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the good news of the kingdom, storms come. Storms that left to ourselves would overwhelm us. Storms that left to ourselves, God, we, we could do all that we could to keep our boat from sinking, but the reality is we can't. But if you're in the boat with us, God, you are the God who can calm the storms. We pray right now that you would help us wrestle with this, this idea of great faith coming from a great fear of you. I know that in our world today, we use fear primarily as a negative thing. I pray that you would open our hearts to recognize that a a holy fear, a healthy fear of you gives us a high and exalted view of who you are. And that inspires great faith in you. God, I pray for anybody who's hearing this message who does not yet know you. I pray that they would know the God who calms the storm, the God who speaks into the winds and the waves, peace be still. God, you calm the storms of life and you are our only salvation. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Guys, thank you for bearing with me. I had the text in front of me. I didn't have my notes. So uh, we will trust that Jesus will use the, the, the word of God and a humble messenger, <laughs> a humble messenger, I would say, to speak to you. I want